Well, it's a privilege to have our hearts prepared to come together tonight and fellowship around the Word of God and then take of the Lord's table together. It's always a joy to take of the Lord's table and to remember the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ and remember the gospel and think carefully about it. And as a church, we have been doing this, meeting together on the eve of Thanksgiving for 13 years now, coming together and reflecting on the Lord's kindness and giving thanks. And indeed, as we've sang tonight, it's been a joy to think about the things that God has done for us and to give thanks for that, particularly in our redemption. So I've been thinking about it as a church, and the Lord has been kind to us this year. So many wonderful, wonderful things, both as a church and personally, even in my own family. In fact, one amazing event occurred this uh, week. You guys want to stand up? You know what I'm, who I'm pointing to. Dan and Lillian, you want to stand up there? Dan actually engaged to Lillian. Yes, she said yes, so we're adding another one to the family. So you may sit. Yeah, so a sweet week this week, just um, adding another to the Rag family, rejoicing in uh, the Lord's kindness and in Dan's life and Lillian's life. And uh, actually, my girls were sitting around figuring out, and they said, hey, wait a second. We're going to lose the rag name, and she's gaining it. So there was a little jealousy in the home, but anyways, Lord, it's sweet to see the Lord's kindness. And even more than that, I just think about what the Lord has done in our ministry over this last year. Many ways in which he's shown so many kindnesses to us. The Ecclesia Conference this year, working through the topic of fear, and just the many ways that each of those sermons challenged us to think carefully about fear and the proper fear of God and unhealthy fears and just be able to get a good assessment of our own hearts and lives. Earlier than that, we had uh, the completing of our training center, our pastoral training center, offices and training center, which was, uh, for my sake, I am quite thrilled. My productivity level has increased rapidly just by having a quiet place to sit down and study and uh, also a quiet place to be able to do counseling at. So just thrilled by the Lord's kindness of providing land for the ministry and a place for our offices. And in the future, Lord willing, a facilities where we'll be able to uh, move to. So the Lord has been so kind in that. Joining the Expositor Seminary, this is a, a thrill that even... Um, taking an offering tonight to be able to support seminary students and the training of men. Uh, We don't even know what the Lord is going to do in regards to raising up people in our midst. Young men uh, who have thought, uh, you know, of their life and all of a sudden having a desire to be trained, head off into ministry that the Lord then sends out and places in in the work of the ministry to bless the church. We are, are thrilled by that privilege. Let alone this year, we've added new missionaries to our, our church life and support. We've set, we had multiple trips to Argentina this year. Uh, so many ways that God has continued to increase our work. So there is much for us to collectively, as a ministry, be thankful for. It's provided for our needs in so many ways, continue to supply gifts to the church. And so there is a great sense of rejoicing in all that the Lord has done for us. 
And so as tonight, when we think about that, we think about what unifies us together. What unifies us is the power of the gospel, the riches of the gospel. And that's where I want to draw your attention tonight. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, I want to take a high-level look at verses 1 through 11 and draw out a few details for us. There are many reasons to be thankful for the saving work of God. The first, of course, reason is that it is a reminder to us that what makes us right before God. It reminds us that nothing else except for the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ reconciles us to God and causes us to be able to stand before God. There's no greater value, no greater purpose than the work of Christ and what he's accomplished on our behalf. But the second reason why I love to look at the gospel and to reflect on the gospel, and I think it is very fitting for this season of our lives to be reflecting on the gospel, is because when we have reached the end of ourselves, when we have been stretched by those kind of personal trials and they've taken us to the end, when we have fallen short in some way, whether by our own failures, our own weaknesses, when we have responded in an ungodly way and our consciences are burdened, we go back to the gospel and we're reminded of these marvelous truths that we stand before God because of what he has accomplished. We stand before God because of what he has done in rescuing us and what he has done in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not standing before God because of something perfect within us, as if we were doing great and on our own good works and efforts, we earned that place before God. We don't stand before God because we never sinned once we professed faith in Christ. We are right before God because God sent his son to die on our behalf. And he reconciled us to himself. And these are the themes that come out in these 11 verses, the reminders that help us reflect on the riches of God's grace to us, that, that ultimately establish the foundation for everything else we have in life. Everything that we're going to enjoy tomorrow in our personal family dynamics as we share with gratitude with one another, everything we have in our possessions as we share of our, our, our material blessings with one another, as we rejoice in fellowship, all of that is on the foundation of redemption, the foundation of being rescued by God, brought into fellowship with Him, and to have peace with God. And out of that peace with God, we can have joyful relationships and encourage one another and build one another up. It is this peace with God that just gives us, again, confidence and assurance and joy that surpasses understanding no matter the circumstances that go on around us. And that is where we get taken into Romans chapter 5 here. You remember in the flow of context of 5 that Paul defended the gospel from Romans 3 verse 21 through chapter 4. He's been explaining and defending the gospel from the Old Testament. And then in chapter 5, 1 through 11, he narrows down and gives a couple of implications for us. And in these two, in this section here, he has two kind of key phrases that remind us of the significance of what is being accomplished here. 
Start in verse 1, they have this phrase, therefore having been justified by faith. In light of all that he has said, he has now lining up or giving us an implication. In light of having been justified by faith. And then down in verse 9, this other implication, he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood. He's basically saying this, in light of all of these truths about the gospel, he's about to draw out some implications for us. In light of the marvelous work that has been done, and that's what we want to look into. The gospel's been given, and what are the fruits or the effects of the gospel? Now, of course, through all of this, we could spend a lot of attention looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, Look back at verse 1 again. He says at the end of verse 1, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith. And jump down to verse 6. It says at the end of verse 6, At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, Christ died for us. And at the end, or through the verse 9, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him, that is, through Christ. We're saved by Christ's blood. We are saved from the wrath of God through Christ. And then in verse 10, he says there, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life, the life of Christ. Christ is front and center in all of these verses. He is the most significant, the most critical, the essential truth. In these verses, what Paul gives us are three truths that we can draw our attention to to comfort our hearts, which I want to point you to. Peace, the gospel brings peace, the gospel brings praise, and the gospel brings a promise. Three things the gospel brings us that sets for us the foundation of all of our hope, all of our encouragement, all of our peace in difficult seasons, the gospel brings us peace, it brings praise, and it brings promise. Notice these. Starting the first one, the first benefit of the gospel of God's grace given to us is that of peace. We notice it in verse 1 and 2. Here again, uh, what Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope and in the glory of God. The first truth that Paul lays out is the fact that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, because we who used to be hostile to God, we who were in rebellion, we who were His enemies and under His wrath, now are reconciled to God and have peace. No longer live in a fear. No longer have to live in a sense that we are under judgment or having a guilty conscience or living in shame. We live in this awareness now because of what Christ has accomplished, that God is reconciled. We are reconciled to God. 
We have, in that phrase again, verse 5, we have peace with God. We have peace. And this peace came, as verse 2 says, our introduction by faith into this grace. This peace came through faith. As we believed, as we have entrusted ourselves upon the truth, as we have received it and entrusted our life to that truth, we received from God peace. No longer having to fear or dread Him. Which is significant for us, again, when we are striving and trying, like we are thinking through the particular details of Romans chapter 12 in our Sunday morning study, and we're working through those details, and our hearts are exposed, and we fall short. And when we fall short, we feel, again, inadequate. And it's in those moments when we're feeling inadequate of our own inabilities to persist at keeping the law of God, we are reminded of this very principle. We have peace with God. Peace. When the world around us is in turmoil, when the hearts of man is unstable, the Christian in, who is in Christ recognizes they have peace. It's a matter what's unfolding around, because all that's happening around us will stop in a moment when God interjects and begins to fulfill his final plan. When it's time for Christ to return, when it's time to bring order to all the nations, when it's time to put an end to the transgression and to restore all things, all of man's workings stop and the King of Kings comes. And that King whom we know as the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be reconciled to Him and we have peace with Him. We've been reconciled to God. Fear not the judgment to come. We stand, as the end of verse 2, we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in peace, praising and anticipating the marvelous return of Christ and the anticipation of the riches of God's grace lavished upon us. But that promise leads us to, or that hope, that peace leads us to the Second aspect of what the gospel produces, and spend a little bit more time here, and it's on praise. Justification energizes, or the gospel energizes the believer's worship in practice and in principle. It leads us to praise. Notice verses 3 through 8, what Paul says there. He says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character, and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Two marvelous truths here that Paul demonstrates that leads us to praise. 
First, an experiential element, and then second, a doctrinal element, a teaching element. The experiential element is described there in verse 3 through verse 5. We also exalt in our tribulations. We exalt in our difficulties. We exalt in our sufferings. We exalt in the difficult situations we are taken through. The gospel leads us into praise. Because as we are believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we are taken into this world and we are navigating through life, we are heading into, as Paul describes them, tribulations, difficulties, personal sufferings. And those difficulties come in so many different ways. Sometimes they come from friends and family. Sometimes they come from circumstances and situations. Sometimes they come from physical afflictions. Sometimes they come through health ailments. Sometimes they come with people uh, persecuting, mocking, rejecting, misrepresenting our motives, our message, our lives, our teaching. Difficulties come. And what Paul says, as these difficulties come, they bring about perseverance. They bring about a strengthening of the faith. As these persecutions and difficulties come, they produce a proven character within us. And as that proven character is demonstrated, there's a greater hope, a greater confidence in what God is accomplishing. Gospel, producing in our heart, produces a strength and a confidence in Christ that takes us through all the sufferings and difficulties of each day. We believe upon Christ. We believe that doing His will is the most important thing. We believe reflecting His character is what He has called us to do. We believe that as we yield in faith to the truth that God will be honored and glorified and in that honor and Him being glorified, He receives all praise and honor. And what we gain as we believe the gospel and we recognize that this world is but a temporary home and we're anticipating our heavenly home, what we gain by persevering is a greater confidence of God's work within us. Because naturally... If all of life was about ourselves, we would run away from these difficulties. Naturally, if we were looking out for ourselves only, we would want to flee from the difficulties and the challenges. And yet God, in His purpose and plan, custom designs for us unique trials and difficulties to take us into those trials and difficulties to demonstrate the riches of His grace in our life. To demonstrate His power to demonstrate His wisdom, to demonstrate His kindness. And we've seen that over the years. This year, even at Saving Grace Bible Church, we've seen various individuals face personal, personal sufferings, unexpected hospital visits, near-death experiences because of accidents or illnesses. We've seen people mistreated, etc. In all of those cases, there was a, a confidence in God and what God is accomplishing. And that leads to this first aspect, a providential leading where God takes us through personal suffering so that experientially we have confidence in God's grace. Confidence in God's love. Confidence of this at the end of verse 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We experience God's love. 
We experience it in confidence as our souls are assured by the truth. We experience it in, in love as the body of Christ comes around us and encourages us. We experience it in ourselves as we are yielding in faith to the truth and we see a persevering work take place in our heart. This leads us to praise and adoration of God. That's what he says there in, again, at verse 3. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. We give praise. We praise God for this particular trial, this particular suffering that is going to shape me and prepare me to bring God glory. So the Christian does because of the gospel of God and what he's accomplished. But he goes further in verses 6 through 8. And in verse 6 through 8, he gives us even a doctrinal basis for our praise and adoration. A doctrinal basis for our praise and adoration. Notice verse 6. And we can say it like this. The doctrinal basis of our praise and adoration from verse 6 to 9 is an intense love. A sacrificial love that Christ demonstrates for us. Notice what he says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now friends, I don't know a more comforting passage in the scriptures than these words right here. As a believer. As an unbeliever, I wouldn't necessarily turn here, but as a child of God, who desires to reflect the glory of God, who desires to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever I fall short, there's just misery misery that the honor of the Lord has hadn't consumed me and driven me in the moment to do the right thing. And so when there's misery, then there's pity. And then there's pouting. And there's this reminder right here of this marvelous truth that when God came and laid down his life for us, he didn't come and lay down his life when we had our act together. He didn't come and lay down his life when we were looking our best, when we, had, we put our best foot forward and we put our Sunday best on. He didn't come and lay himself down for us when we showed potential and promise. He came and he laid down his life when we were ungodly. Notice the phrases there in verse 6. It's the ungodly. Uh, he would... Someone would dare die for the righteous man, maybe a good, but while we were yet, in verse 8, sinners, he died for us. We were, and also verse 6, helpless. So we were helpless, we were ungodly, and we were sinners. And it is at that time he came and laid himself down. Helpless, we were, again, powerless. No strength, no ability. You can accomplish nothing. Not only helpless, ungodly, we were hostile, wicked, filled with unrighteousness, 
sinners. We were violators of the law of God. We were transgressors. So we were in this state of utter hostility towards God. And in that time, he sends his son to lay down his life for us. No reason. No wonder then, Paul says, we exalt, we praise. Because even when we're at the worst, we can't surprise God. Even when those moments when we have fallen short, Will God turn his, way, his love away at that moment? I mean, if he didn't turn his love away when we were at our worst and he rescued us, why would he turn his love away later? If he rescued us when we were helpless and ungodly and sinners, why would he turn his love away from his children who have turned to him? For these reasons we praise We praise and we exalt because the gospel has reconciled us to God because we once were far off and he brought us near and he's going to keep us near. So we praise. We have peace with God because he he satisfied his wrath through the Son. We have praise because we are being redeemed and we are overcoming difficulties and because he rescued us when we were the most unlovely. But one more truth is the promise. The promise in verse 9 through 11. Notice, as Paul says there, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Again, all the same themes that Paul brings together here. Is that rather interesting? how Paul contrasts salvation in these verses. Because he contrasts salvation both as a past experience and a future experience. Notice back in verse 1 there, he describes salvation back in verse 1 as we have been saved. Notice it says, having been justified by faith, verse 1. And uh, even in verse 9, having been justified by his blood. Both of those terms are in the aorist, uh, indicating a past action that has taken place that is historical. This is something that has been completed, a historical event. You have been saved. You have been justified by faith. And then in verse 10 there, the end of verse 10 says, we shall be saved by his life. He presents now salvation future. Really, it should be translated, we will be saved. Emphasizing a future act, a future work. This, parsing this word, it's a future passive indicative, meaning you will be rescued in the future. 
So Paul, in this exact same context, describes the completed work that has taken place and a future hope that's going to take place, a future certainty. The promise that is laid out in then verses 9 through 11 is God is going to rescue. He's delivered us. Delivered us from the wrath, verse 9. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Delivered us from God's judgment upon sin. Delivered us from condemnation. We are set free. That is a theme, the wrath of God is a major theme through the book of Romans. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Romans 2 and verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. This word wrath, orge, is used multiple times throughout the book of Romans as a reminder, wrath is coming. But for the believer, the hope is there in verse 9. We have been delivered or saved from the wrath of God. We are taken away from it through the Lord Jesus Christ. No fear of condemnation. No fear of judgment to come. We are living in anticipation of being delivered from this. And the promise given is through the gospel is that we are protected and delivered from it. How so? Well, it tells us in 10 and 11, that again, using the phrase, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. When we were at that unlovely state, we've been brought through, through the death of His Son. And much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. So not only through His death did He deliver us, but through His present life He is delivering us. Because He is alive, because He sits on His throne, because He waits to return, because He is alive, he, we will be delivered. That is the promise. So the Gospel then reminds us of three, ask three things. It reminds us that we have peace with God. So whenever our lives are in turmoil, in distress, whenever we're uncomforted, uncomfortable because of the circumstances we are in, we remind ourselves of that ultimate truth, the one who matters most, God. He is the one we are reconciled to and we have peace. And the gospel reminds us that even when everything else is going bad around us, when everything else is, uh, is falling apart, we have reason to praise. We have reason to praise because God is leading us through difficulties and we are enduring through those difficulties. We have reason to praise because we can see the handiwork of God from, from as we strive to proclaim the riches of the gospel of God and we are facing suffering and difficulty because of it and we endure through that difficulty. It's in those times we're reminded that God is at work. He's at work in us, maturing us and transforming us and we're enduring. And as we endure, He is demonstrating His rich kindness. And then lastly, we have promise. The promise is that the hope of redemption is coming. The hope of our deliverance is coming. 
So when we head to the Lord's table and we come to reflect on God's marvelous work, we remember these particular promises and reasons for praise and anticipation of deliverance. And this ultimately, as I said, is the very foundation for everything else that we get to uh, give praise for. Everything else that we get to give thanks for when we spend time with our families is anchored on this foundation here. The peace with God, praise to God, and the promises of His ultimate redemption.